You're listening to Welcome to Eloma, a podcast for highly ambitious dreamers who get shit done. I'm your host, Kylie Peters. This is a space where we talk about building communities. So as many of you know, we launched the 100 Collective at the beginning of 2023. And uh, let me just say that I have big goals for the 100 Collective and I love it and I'm super excited about it. Um, And I was warned that building a community is tough, but boy, it really is. It really is. So if anybody out there is thinking about starting a community and they're like, yeah, this would be easy. No big deal. You're wrong. And everyone's lying to you. Um, so when we started doing a bit of our homework to figure out how we were going to build this community, uh, we were introduced to today's guest, uh, towards the beginning of 2023 and her breadth of knowledge and expertise when it comes to community building in my experience is truly unsurpassed. So I'm really excited to dive into today's conversation with Deb Shell. She is a community strategist and co-founder of Community Consultants Collective. She's the host of the Community Strategy Podcast, and she's also a freshly minted author of Creator to Community Builder, the book. So she knows a thing or two about building communities. She's absolutely brilliant at what she does, and I cannot wait to dive into today's conversation with her. Welcome to Eloma Deb. Wow. What an introduction. That was amazing. Thank you so much. I'm excited to to chat with you about community and you are right. It is not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy. So, uh, Deb, you, you do this a lot and you've helped a lot of other people do this. What led you to the world of building communities? And we're just going to stop there because otherwise I have like I'm going to unleash a million questions. So what led you to doing this work? Let's start there. I was a a member of an online community in 2017, 2018, and it uh, helped change my life. I was working in a sales role. And previous to that, I had been doing journalism and photography. That's what I went to school for. And I'd been struggling to make it as a creative uh, in, in my 20s and 30s. And um was trying to figure out some to do something other than sales because I just wasn't excited about selling stuff. And one of the things I wanted to do was become a travel writer. This online community I joined called Location Indie. I found it because I didn't have anybody in my my physical community here in central Pennsylvania that could really guide me in like how do you start an online business back in 2016, 2017. So uh, I found this online community. I joined uh, them. I had a lot of like instructive courses and learned so much from them. I ended up meeting them in Denver in 2018 and then flew to Mexico and met them again in 2019 and had such an amazing experience. And they helped me figure out a way to quit my corporate job. And I did that in the December of 2019 um, to become a travel writer right before a pandemic. (laughs) I was building a thing portfolio travel writing um, based on like in a niche that I had helped. They had this community of people, peers had helped me develop a niche and that in finding destinations of calm. And that's why my business is called Find Calm Here because initially it was a travel company um, blogging and talking about destinations of calm. And when that whole pandemic thing started, (laughs) um, I had been 
<laughs> yeah, I had been pitching publications and quickly realized that this isn't going to be something that I can do this year because <laughs> people are not traveling in 2020. Yeah, and at the same time, I was running a in-person workshop um, with just a few friends just to try to test things out to help people find calm in daily life. And so when I decided, to, I met a couple people who helped me kind of transform what I was doing in person virtually. And so that everybody could do, practice safely during the pandemic. And I just started launching these online events. I recruited a lot of speakers. And in 2020, I ended up opening my own community uh, on the same platform that I had been a member of for two and a half years, which was Mighty Networks, and like immediately got like sideswiped with all kinds of messaging of like, oh, it's easy to launch a community and you can mm. run, it'll run itself and all these things. And I'm like, cool. And I followed all the check, you know, I had a checklist and did everything like right the way I thought it was right. And here, you know, zero members on my paid launch weekend <laughs> in yep. June of 2020. And that kind of sucked. So, what was funny about this was that at the same time, I had taken the community design masterclass through Money Networks and they had um, a couple people in that cohort wanted to keep connecting after the five weeks. I offered a space within my community and said, hey, well, why don't we just meet up here? And over six months, every week, community builders and I gathered to talk about our community, <laughs> which later became the Mighty Mastermind. But that's kind of how I got into community building for myself. And then when I started to realize that fellow community builders wanted my help um, with not just the platform, but also just the logistics and figuring out, you know, making all those decisions about when I should launch, how, you know, how I should launch. And they started to ask me, Deb, can you help me? I became a consultant. And then that's since then, I've helped over 60 entrepreneurs or business owners in launching an online community or course or program. So just a couple, just a couple, done this a few just, times, just a couple yeah. pivots along the way. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's the name of the game. If there's one thing I've learned in the, mm, you could argue decades that I've been in entrepreneurship, it's the only thing that you can guarantee is change. Yeah. Like everybody who thinks like, oh, I'll just put this business plan in place and uh, it'll just work forever. No, it won't. <laughs> It was just won't. <laughs> so like, just don't even... Be lucky if it lasts for 30 days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like every 90 days, it's like, yep, that'll change and this will change and all those things. Yeah. Um, okay. But that being said, like you said, like everybody is talking about building communities. It's a very hot topic. Everybody has these grand delusions of like, oh, I'll build this thing and then I'll retire and I'll do the Tim Ferriss four-hour work week and it'll be great. Yeah. Um, not quite how it really shakes out though. So what are some of the mistakes you have seen people make and how would you, what would you recommend that they do instead of those things? <laughs> well, I would say, you know, a lot of people have that philosophy that it's a passive income generator and community is anything but passive. Uh, you know, yeah. if you leave people if you invite people into your home and then you don't tell them what to do, you, you could have an imagination of what might happen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like they might terrorize your house. They might just walk out and leave. You know, they, many things could happen. So just like the same goes for online spaces, right? We have to be intentional about 
what we're building, who we're inviting into this space, and specifically creating psychological safety mm-hmm. because social media doesn't provide us with that. And what happens is people will not share if our goal is to connect with others and to share each other's content and wisdom and shared knowledge. They're not going to do that on a Facebook page or a group unless they feel very connected to other members because they know, okay, something I put out there isn't going to be automatically rejected or, you know, they're not going to have a some kind of a conflict right away because they're in a supportive space. So that's the one mistake I see people make is just trying to launch too fast without knowing who's in the room and also, you know, just assume making a lot of assumptions of what they're going to do, where they're going to go and, and, and how they're going to participate without thinking about the fact that they have an, these individuals, each person they invite in here to this space has their own life with, challenges and a career or kids or whatever. Um, So they've got their own things happening. And so they're not, you know, they might be excited to be in your community, but also they have a lot of things going on themselves. And so I think a lot of creators and community builders kind of don't think about that in the process. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because that was something as we built out or started designing the 100 Collective, that was something I was super aware of because I also am involved in a lot of things. And um, I found myself that anything that was asking for too much of my time, I was like, yeah, I don't want anything to do with that. That's too much. And so we started with like a very, you know, a minimalist, if you will, approach to community building for like a pretty nominal fee. Um, And now what we're hearing from people is, you know, well, we want this and we want more in-person and we want this and this and this and this. And we're Mm -hmm. like, it's a balance between trying to figure out what do I actually want to offer and how much can I physically do um, and, and giving the people what they want. Right. Yeah. There's a balance between what the so most entrepreneurs, I would assume that are building an online community already have some kind of existing business. But if a lot of people I've talked to in the last couple of years don't, they're just launching a community that is the product, you know, that is what they're selling, what whatnot. They don't have any other things. Maybe they're thinking about building a course or maybe they want to do a, you know, a mastermind, but they're trying to figure all of that out. And what happens is they've been told that like, oh, I don't need to have a big audience. Well, if you don't have a big audience, then you have to think about how many people actually convert. Like just because you have 10,000 followers on social media, that doesn't convert to like 500 people in your, you know, community paid platform. It certainly is nowhere near the conversion rates that you would get. And even social media with all the algorithms now are so hard to get eyeballs on that content, much less for you to get even more of their attention in a dedicated platform. So Mm -hmm. it really comes down to really knowing who you're serving and solving a problem in a community that only the community could solve. Like, if I want to get my taxes done, well, my accountant does that. I don't need a community to, unless I'm going to become a tax preparer and I want to learn from other 
tax professionals. Sure. That could be a community, but me just getting my taxes done is a service that I go pay somebody for. Like that's a problem that I would have that would not be solved by the community, for example. Yeah. And so I think a lot of people miss that step of what problem is this community solving? Like, how am I helping them and what's in it for them as the member versus what's in it for me as the mm-hmm. host? And you have to have two, two lanes, right? Because you can't only think about members because you might have a revenue problem. <laughs> And if you don't think about the revenue, you know, the business, um, if you think about the business only, then you really don't have a a good path to really serving the members in an authentic way. So it's really about that balance. What are some ways you have found that are really helpful in terms of getting feedback from members to improve the community and improve engagement? So this really depends on the scope of your community and the scale. Um, I work with people who have smaller cohorts and they usually are either offering large, um, either free or they're offering high ticket opportunities. And so there aren't that many people in the community. Let's say there's at the max 50 people. In that case, you then have the ability to go and reach out individually to them. And maybe you put a survey out to those 50 people and you ask them a series of, you know, five questions about events or participation or content. And from that survey, maybe you reach out to specific certain people in that survey um, who want to give you more feedback and have a call with them, a direct call, one-to-one call with them, talking about how, if there's an existing membership, how has their experience been? What's the onboarding process been like? Uh, are there challenges or things that you got stuck in in the process of the tech pro- platform? Mm-hmm. And then also, is this helpful in your daily life? I think the biggest measure of success in a community is, are your members actually utilizing and implementing whatever they're learning in their daily life. Um, Mm -hmm. If it's something they say, oh yeah, because of this community, I have, you know, decided to no longer eat dairy because I've learned that this is not good for me. It's a health community or something, or I've learned that, you know, I need to be focused on LinkedIn and I don't have to worry about 10, you know, all the platforms because I know that my ideal clients are on LinkedIn and that's what I learned in this community. So i Mm-hmm. I make my focus that. So just having a a guide and a reference point from those members that they are finding value because if they aren't finding value, then you're not going to have a community. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to stay for very long. So it's got to be something that they can benefit, but also something that's going to be make sense for you as a host. You said communities of like 50 or so, what would you say, and maybe the answer is it depends, but what would you say is like an average community size? There are so many different kinds of communities. So yes, it kind of depends, but I would say I primarily work with communities of practice. So what that means to me is communities that are transformational. They get you from one place to another, whether it's like, I want to lose weight. I want to find a job. I want to build a business. They're doing something that they don't, they don't want to do on their own. 
It's a lot easier to go to the gym when you have a friend that you know is going to meet you there. It's a lot easier to get to a meeting for networking if you know a few people in the room and you're not going into a room where you don't know anybody. So thinking about those things virtually is the same thing. We want to think about how we're connecting those members and they can build relationships with each other. And I had a follow-up question that I forgot to ask. Um, When you were talking about like essentially surveying and then reaching back out to people for follow-ups, how often do you recommend community hosts do that? Is this like an annual thing, a quarterly thing? What what would be your recommendation? So a lot of, I would say a lot of people I work with, they are doing either memberships or they're doing courses. So if you're doing a course, you would evaluate after the course. I would recommend like not booking courses back to back. Like if you have a four-week course, don't do another four-week course right after the next one because you want to give space in there. Get feedback from those course participants before you launch another cohort so that you can do that in a way that you're taking the benefit from those past participants Mm -hmm. and into the next course. And then for ongoing memberships, I mean, I would say every six months or so, um, you would probably want to do a check-in depending on, again, it depends on the structure of your community. If you are already like knowing your members and they're very active, you might not need to check in, but once a year, because you kind of get a grasp of that, but you always have new members. So that's another thing you want to think about is what you're Hopefully you always have new members. So you're having new members hopefully come in and you're also going to have some people leaving because communities are a phase of life, right? So there's different communities that I'm in for certain periods of time. Yeah, they're fluid. And you come in and maybe I'm really participating in one for a specific thing. And then I get through that thing. Like I needed to build my business and now I'm on to building my business. And so now I've built it and now I've got to go test it out. So maybe I don't need that community all the time. Maybe I do. It just depends on individuals. But I think that's right. There's a something called the commitment curve um, that they write about where people get really interested and there's a tick up in the commitment curve and then it'll dip and then it'll come back up and then it'll dip again because that's sure. people have a life and sometimes life gets in the way of participating even if they want to. The Accelerator is exactly what you've been looking for. If you're either an executive woman ready to leave corporate and start your own thing, but don't know where or how to get started, or you're an existing woman small business owner and you're ready to level up your business, we've built a -a one-of-a-kind six-month training program with over a dozen industry experts that took me nearly a decade to assemble. And I am delivering this to you on a platter. I have lost hundreds of thousands of dollars and months of wasted time and energy over the last decade by not having these resources available to me. And I want to change the way women are running their businesses so they can make more money faster with less anxiety and fewer unreliable partners, which is why we've built the Accelerator. It's time to level up and make sure you're leveraging your business to support the life you want to be living personally, professionally, and financially. Learn more at rixrixaccelerator.com. Okay, so you may have already touched on this, but I just want to make sure I ask the blunt question. Um, What is the greatest key to successfully building a community? And then I will also toss in, and 
monetizing a community because I think it's important to acknowledge that that's not necessarily, they're not necessarily the same things. No, I think a lot of people um, don't necessarily think about monetizing a community. I think that's a newer concept. Um, I think that primarily we've thought about community. I mean, think about from, <laughs> you know, from when you're growing up. I mean, everybody has been in a community of some sort, you know, uh, whether it's an in-person community or a virtual community. Um, and I think when we're talking about these kinds of challenges, we are in a new time period where people are kind of their attention is split into so many places. And so it's really hard to a get their attention and then B keep it. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that the, the things that are challenging for entrepreneurs when they are just opening a program, if it's a, you know, if it's a free program, I think some of the best successful things I've seen is that they offer a lot of resources, but not just content connection, because I think that the more connection that you're providing, whether that's in the form of, you know, hybrid events where you have some virtual and you have some in person, or you have chapters, or you have uh, some way for, for your members to connect with each other. That's primarily why people want to be in a community. They want to be in a community because they want to connect with others that they keep, that they don't already know. Um, so that they can learn and meet new people. So I think that that's the most important point that a lot of people, when you go to paid communities, they focus so much on content. And the challenge with that, they think, oh, I have to make it really valuable. And that means I have to have a lot of content. And what I tell people is actually no, <laughs> because what happens is people will walk in the door virtually to your space and might be if you have a whole lot of stuff on that left side navigation or when they come in the door, there's a lot of descriptions or things that they have to look at. They're going to get overwhelmed mm -hmm. and they're not going to want to stay. And they don't even know anybody there. If they don't know anybody, if they have no idea who anybody is in the room, they're certainly not going to share or post anything. Mm -hmm. Even if you say share or post, they're still not going so to. So how do you get around yeah. that? How, how, what's the best way to make somebody who's just joined feel super welcome and then give them the tools they need to engage? So typically what I would recommend doing is a couple combination of a couple of things. So making sure you connect with them individually, but then when they join the group, connect them with somebody else, like have a buddy system or a Ooh. pairing system, pairing program. So maybe you, uh, you say, oh, you, hey, Deb, you and Sharon, you both are blah. You're both in Pennsylvania or you're both doing marketing or something to that effect, like something you know about two people and maybe pairing them together, um, you know, virtually just by tagging them within the community um, because you know something about them or, you know, sending a message to one or the other and saying, hey, I really feel like you should reach out to so-and-so because they would be a good connect if they're, if you know that person is much going to react better to a direct message than like a, a post within a forum. Mm -hmm. The other opportunity is on a video call like Zoom. We have the capability with Zoom to have breakout rooms. And one of the things that I really recommend, especially like if you have a monthly membership, doing some kind of a monthly connect where members just connect with each other. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a dedicated time to connect and doing breakout rooms where I give them a prompt question. Um, 
you know, what's your biggest challenge for the week or what's something that you're excited to tell people about today? Mm-hmm. And then you break out a room in, and into pairs or sometimes groups. If it's a big group, if you have like 60 or 80 or hundred people on a call, you probably have to do like groups of five or something like that, or groups of 10 or whatever, but enough time, giving them enough time so that they can at least have three to five minutes to talk to each other. Yeah. And they get a lot done in that three to five mm. minutes. They talk a lot in that three to five minutes and you can build a relationship with somebody in just a three minute sec, you know, three minutes time. That connection will last months after that three minutes mm. in a lot of experiences that I've seen, because you can build a really great relationship by connecting with somebody Um, by seeing their face and talking with them and not in front of a group of people. So a lot of people are like timid or shy to be like, Oh, let me tell everybody about me. And, you know, I don't even know who's here. I don't know anybody about like, I don't know about you. Um, It's a lot easier to do those kinds of things and to say, Oh yeah, I'm, you know, I like hiking and I'm going to go camping this weekend. If you're in a one-to-one call with somebody. Mm Mm-hmm. So those are ways that I feel like I call them mixers sometimes that I'll do like networking mixers or some kind of, um, I don't know, fun, cool phrase that you can <laughs> tell your members Morgan. to, yeah, something to just get them excited about meeting each other and then helping them connect with different people each time. If that's possible, if you have enough yeah. of members that show up that you can connect them. But those are some ways that I, I really recommend um, connecting members intentionally. And then like on the other side, you could do social events. I've had, you know, I've had social happy hours. I've had, um, open mic, virtual open mic nights where we just had our members come and play and sing songs and do stuff like that. Or like a karaoke night where, I mean, you get to meet people in a whole different, especially if you're in a business community, you get to see a whole nother side of people when you do certain activities, like a murder mystery night was really fun. I had a virtual murder mystery night that was really neat in a community. So there's just a lot of different activities. If you think outside the box, um, to get people kind of like, out of that like 30 second, you know, pitch thing. And like, let's talk about like who you really are and and what you're Mm -hmm. excited about, what lights you up. So that's such a good reminder because, you know, as an entrepreneur who surrounds myself with a lot of other entrepreneurs, you know, we always say nobody understands entrepreneurship unless they're also an entrepreneur. And so we tend to surround, we tend to, you know, walk around in clans, right? Um, And it's like, yeah, but then we also tend to have the same conversations in silos about our business because we're all addicted to our business and we can't stop thinking about our business, even though we've all read 15 mindset books on how that's not healthy and we're really trying and we have all these practices and we're still failing at it. And so it's it's a good reminder that we're all human and like sometimes we could build a greater relationship with somebody over sharing like an apple pie recipe That's from like your great grandma and you've been making it for 20 years and like that lights them up. Like I just learned this past weekend, I was at a, well, a networking thing, a community thing. And I found out that squash are uh, fruits and not vegetables. And I was like, I, I, I have a lot of questions now because I was pretty (laughs) sure that they were vegetables and now I'm going to, I have to look into a lot of things. (laughs) Um, but it, it just opened up this whole conversation. I was with a bunch of women entrepreneurs, but we got into a very deep conversation about squash 
You know, yeah. and I was like, I need to make some notes. I have a lot of things to look into now. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't yeah. think I realized that either. So, well, yeah. they said it was because of the seeds, but I need to look into this. Uh, don't take my word on that, but you know, you might want to research too. Um, okay. So we talked about building a community. I love your, I love this just obvious reminder of like, Hey, everyone's a human. Like let's, that's what we all really want is human connection. Right. Yeah. So, I'm not doing any shoddy marketing tactics of like, Hey, go here, do this, press that. No, I'm like, here, this is simple. Yeah, let's just cut like, out the BS and say, this is the thing. Here, here's the real deal. We just yeah. got to talk to each other. You know, like when I was talking to uh, one of the clients, I'm like, well, how do I know who my ideal members are? And I said, you talk to people. <laughs> they were like, they say? there's not like 17 steps of like a tech thing that I need to set up. I'm like, no, you just talk to them. <laughs> I mean, and, and you have to talk to them with, uh, without an agenda. Yeah. You know, you, I mean, sure. And you, listening, like talking in the matter of, I want to talk with you so that I can understand and know you. Yeah. So if you approach it by, I want to get to know you as a person and build a relationship with you, that's a different set of requests than going to somebody and saying, Hey, I want to tell you about my business idea and pitch to you for 20 minutes. Like that's yeah. going to be a whole different thing. Yeah. The phrase, um, listening to understand versus, what is it? Listening to understand versus listening to be heard. Mm-hmm. That might or be, be right. Is it be right? Be right. Maybe. I don't know. I screwed it up. Anyway, the first part is definitely <laughs> listening to understand. And the second part is something less noble. Um, so yeah, no, absolutely. And it's a good reminder. So for anybody who's a real introvert and doesn't like talking to people, maybe community building's just not your thing. Um, oh yeah. And, and you know what? Not, not that it's not their thing, but I, I know a lot of introverts that are community builders and community managers Yeah, and they find their own unique ways to connect okay. with people in ways that aren't, you know, they don't have to go stream live to a 10,000 people. They can, yeah. you know, interact in different ways that, that makes sense to them in smaller cohorts. And so, well, that's yeah. why I think it's, it depends on your personality, but also it depends on, you know, they say about like the, you only need a thousand true fans or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And even less than that in a community, you know, if you have a solid, if you have a solid group of community builders that or community community members that want to stick with you, they might stick with you for like five years mm -hmm. and they're going to love it. And they're going to, everything that you send out, they're going to buy it. They're going to you know promote it. Cause that's what happened with me when I was in the location, any community. I mean, they didn't pay me to, to write about them in my book, but that's what ended up happening is yeah. that I'm, I'm inviting people and I'm blogging about it. I'm like blogging all my trips and all this stuff. For years, I've been sharing about that group and they didn't ask me to do any of that stuff. It was just something that I was so passionate because it changed my life. I was like, people have to know about this. <laughs> it's like a secret. People have to know. I don't want to keep it secret anymore. Yeah. You know, um, you mentioned like tenure in a, in a membership. And again, I'm sure the answer is probably, it depends, but based off of your experience in managing communities, what would you say the average time somebody spends in a community? What, what do you think that is? Mm, that's a good question. I think, yeah, it really varies. Like if you have a course or some like heavy content they that they would be required to spend more time on the platform that you sure. might see a higher hours. But like, you know, if you're just creating 
normal events and, and engagement. I mean, I don't see anybody spending like an hour a day. It's probably more like an hour a week, you know, or like, like if they're checking length of membership, like a year, three years, five years. If they're it, staying in for not, longer than three years is what you're saying. Or just whatever it looks like. Assuming it's just membership, like content aside. Yeah. Membership. I mean, the amount of time that they're spending lengthwise, like how many years they'd stay in a community. Yeah. Is that the question? Yeah. I think, hmm, yeah, that's tough because it really depends on what problems the community is solving. But again, I was in that location in the community for three and a half years. I know other communities that I've been in or that other people have been in for 10 years. Yeah. Um, thinking about like meetup groups, like there's meetup groups that meet for decades, you know? So it just like, depends weekly yeah. so um it really depends on people's commitment levels the leader um leaders change hands there's a group that um i'm in called the polka dot powerhouse and they have a lancaster chapter in pennsylvania and that um leader is she has been there for three and a, oh, almost five years i guess been leading that group and she's passing it on to another person who's now taking over in the next couple months um but they've had dramatic growth in their community up to like 160 members, I think, over the last few years. Um, it's really grown. So I think and their members keep coming back and staying because they really are committed to making sure people are seen and heard and valued and getting feedback from them and talking with them to make sure that they're getting what they need in the space. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah. Um, Okay, so you also, we mentioned in your intro, you also just launched a book. Mm -hmm. uh, tell all of those of all of the listeners out there um, what they can expect in your new book. So Creator to Community Builder, Find Calm While Building an Online Community is kind of like a memoir slash workbook. It was initially going to be a workbook and it ended up being a little bit more than that um, when I ended up writing it. But basically, I wrote it in two months in the beginning of the year uh, of 2023. And it's um, really all of the experiences that I've learned. I interviewed over 100 community builders on my podcast, the Community Strategy Podcast. And so within the book, there's a couple QR codes that link to podcast episodes. And I have excerpts from some podcasts. There's also some checklists and worksheets and links to uh, a workbook that I will be promoting here in the next couple of weeks. Um, for people, there's a companion workbook that's going to be coming out that hasn't come out yet. But um, basically just giving everybody a step-by-step -step guide so that if you're sitting alone thinking about, I want to do an online community and there's so much content and lots of videos, but I still don't know what to do. I'm like That's what I usually get with clients when they call me. They're like, I've watched all the videos. I, I kind of have a feeling of like, I think I know what I'm doing, but then I'm like, is this, is this right? Like, is this how it's supposed to be? And a lot of people just want validation. So this book was really something that I wrote for the clients that I worked with, examples from clients of here's what they've done. Here's how it works. There's not a one way. Community is like unlimited potential, right? You could do yeah. so many different things within a community, um, within an online community. So I think it's just a really good guidebook for anyone who wants to consider launching it. And it might be something where you think, well, I'll read it to see if I want to do a community. And that'll help you decide if you even want to launch a community once you see the amount of work that goes into to leading one. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm excited to check it out. Um, congratulations. I know that that can oftentimes be a huge labor of love. Um, so that's awesome. I'm excited that that's out there. Um, Deb, so we're talking about community. I got a doozy of a question for you. What impact do you want to make on the world and or what legacy do you want to leave? Mm, that's a bold question. I think I, I wrote in the book, in the beginning of the book, um, that I really believe that communities are what is going to change the world. Um, it's clear that through the pandemic, we've experienced a lot of deaths and, and just sadness and grief and loss. And there's been a lot of hard things that we've been going through. And there's also, this is a time of awakening for a lot of people who are kind of, you know, realizing things. <laughs> They're just waking mm -hmm. up to certain things in life as a human and questioning things. And, and it's an exciting time, but communities help people implement things that we learn because we want to do things together. We are humans and humans like to be together and doing things. It's part of the basics of belonging. Mm -hmm. Is when you when you when you want to feel like you belong in your when you're a teenager. That's like that's all we want, right? It is to like feel like oh somebody accepts us and we belong to something. That doesn't end in high school. It continues throughout our life. We always feel like we want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And so I feel like that's the same for me. I think that's why I'm so passionate about community because I didn't know up until 2020 that I was a community builder my whole life. I'd been bringing people together in my house when I used to have open houses and all that kind of stuff. So I think it just kind of developed into, oh, this is actually what I'm supposed to be doing. So no, no wonder all these other things that I tried in my life didn't work out because this is supposed to be where I'm supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So I think that impact that you're talking about is helping other people to connect with others authentically and intentionally so that we can feel more sense of belonging and acceptance because our world has been one of lack and exclusions and not including people and keeping people, you know, not available in a lot of scenarios, right? Not, not access accessible to things. So I think that that's while the world's changing, it's also that that's the time for us to, as community builders, to open up the gates and to be able to connect with others. Um, the community consultant collective is a group that, um, I co-founded with some colleagues and that group has a bigger mission that I'm a part of that is really about helping community builders launch and lead, you know, larger communities across the globe. And we have a global advisory board that we have some big missions with that. But cool. I'll just say that I think just connection and helping, you know, people feel like they belong because I know that that was something I never felt I belonged, you know, in my yeah. youth and a lot of times in life. So, yeah, it's easy to feel alone in a lot of situations. Um, I love that the sense of connectivity and community and connectedness. I think that's awesome. Um, now, you've been running your business for a while and uh, you've also seen other people running their business. So, my last question for you, Deb, is what is your greatest insight or discovery about life and entrepreneurship? Hmm. 
trust, 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 trust that things will work out. Um, trusting myself. It's hard. It's hard when things are not going the way that you want them to go <laughs> yeah. and stay on the path of, okay, I know this is where I want to go. I don't want to go back to that nine to five job. I've got to stick with this because entrepreneurship will test you. It tested me <laughs> many, 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 many times. Yeah. I have had three businesses besides the one I have now. I had a photography business for 10 years. I never made it to make that full time. I had a cleaning business. I never got that to be full time. This is the first um, business that I've done that has been a full time endeavor. And lots of times I've wanted to give up on it. And it's, it's frustrating. It's it's hard to do this thing on your own. And I feel like I, I didn't realize like there are resources out there to make it easier now. Um, but a lot of times we don't really look for those and we're so we're creating the wheel, you know, or making up our own things all the time. So I made a lot of my own documentation and all of those things, but just like the resilience that I've had. And what's really funny for me in particularly is knowing my strengths because when I um found out about UMAP, which is an assessment program mm -hmm. uh, that aligns with uh, Clifton Strengths. Those programs help you figure out your strengths, your um, values, your preferred skills, and your burnout skills. And knowing those and then putting those into perspective of my life, I realized that I have top strengths of communication, winning others over, <laughs> you know, positivity, futuristic, and restorative are in my top five of my strengths. I am literally a community builder who helps people find calm. And that's literally in my top five strengths. That's amazing. It's crazy when you match those things up. But I think that has been the biggest insight for me is that, you know, not that a report's going to tell you everything, but just having a little bit more validation for myself to say, Deb, you're on the right path. You just have to stick with it. And sometimes it's going to be really hard. And you might have to take three steps back to, to go five steps forward, because sometimes that's just the way life works. So um, I always say like, it's never over, right? It's never going to be over, over. Like I'm still going to be doing something. It might transmute into something else. Um, but yeah, I think the resilience is is by far just having the stick to to do it because a lot of people don't. A lot yeah. of people are in Pick a nine up. to five job because they're too afraid to try something or they don't have any idea of what they would try because they just haven't thought about it. Um, so any person who's trying a new thing that's not, you know, a job that's, that's on their own is going to have challenges. But the part of it that isn't necessarily fun, but, but it's helpful is to be open to the process. Yeah. Yeah. One of the big mantras I've been um, really holding on to is trust the process. Just trust that you're doing the right thing. I mean, that doesn't mean like follow blindly, right? But we got to let go of the things that we don't have control over and just focus on the things that we do. Everything doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to have a website and all your social media platforms. And, you know, you don't have to have all the things. And I think that's a big thing that a lot of people as entrepreneurs, we have this assumption that like, oh, we can't launch a business until we have all these things that we checked off a of box. And at the end of the day, I ask my clients, well, do you, 
do you want money in your inbox or do you want to spend a lot of time creating content? And they're like, I want money in my inbox. And so then I'm like, well, then we have to design something that gets to that faster mm-hmm. instead of creating barriers. And a lot of times we don't know that we're creating barriers, but we end up creating barriers for ourselves before. And ultimately like saying, oh, I can't do my business until I get my website and I have to buy, pay a website designer to do that. And, you know, six months later, oh, I still didn't get a website designer. Six months ago, you could have launched a business by just saying, hey, I'm starting to offer this thing Mm -hmm. to like five people, tell people about it, get a few clients in the door without a website, just have an email address and a plate, like a a link for people to book a call with you or something maybe. And that's it. Mm -hmm. And you can launch a business just as simply as that. Yep. Yep. Now, keeping a business and growing a business and, you know, there's a few more steps in there, but you can get started. Um, Well, Deb, thank you so much for your time. For anybody listening who wants to learn more and get in touch, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Uh, Findscalmhere.com. Also on LinkedIn is my primary social media channel. So I'm on LinkedIn at Deb Shell. Awesome. Um, And for anybody listening, if you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have, please go ahead and leave a review wherever you are listening. And please don't forget to sign up for our uh, Rain 9 email newsletter at rixnewsletter.com. You will make sure that you don't miss any of our podcast episodes and all of our tips and tricks. Um, Deb, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. Glad to be here. Uh, Hopefully everybody got some value out of that. And uh, take care. If you're interested in asking me questions about running your business, but you're working on a budget and only need a teeny tiny bit of handholding right now, check out the CEO hotline. This is an online community that I'll be managing on a weekly basis, answering questions about running your business. And then we'll have a monthly live Q&A where I'll answer whatever questions you have in real time. Learn more at rixrixceohotline.com. To continue learning how to better build your business and make your vision a reality, subscribe to the Welcome to Eloma email list at welcometoeloma.com.